Hello and welcome to the Directors UK podcast. Earlier in December, we spoke to Greta Gerwig about her film Ladybird. We asked her about writing and directing a film which is loosely autobiographical, recreating a Super 16 look on digital, and how she brought her experience in front of the camera as an actress to her approach as a director. But um, I think I'd like to ask you, you know, the obvious question, how autobiographical is this film? Well, the, certainly, I'm, I'm, I'm from Sacramento, California, and uh, p- part of uh, the beginning of the idea for this movie was wanting to make a movie that took place in California, Sacramento, California, because it's, it's my hometown, and I, I felt like I could show it um, lovingly and honestly. And uh, that you, I've always felt that the, the more specific you make something, the more universal it is. And even if you've never been to Sacramento, I think everyone has sort of a Sacramento of their heart. And uh, so that that's that's me, and I went to Catholic girls' school. But in a way, I think that the character of Lady Bird uh, was... It was almost like I created this this person that I I had no ability ability to be. I didn't. Um, I never had anyone call me by a different name. I never dyed my hair bright red. I I wasn't a rebel. I was more much more of like a rule follower and a people pleaser. And I think I, it, it it almost like I I was able to give some free rein to things that I I I wasn't able to say or do. But then. The, the the heart of the story, the core of the story is um is really really true to uh my my heart and the the rich, complicated relationship between a mother and daughter. Um I mean my mom my mom, my my dad, my brother, my sister and everyone in my family has seen the movie and they, they loved it and they know what's real and what's not real, but uh, my mom was at the premiere of tel- at, of the movie at Telluride with me, and she was sitting beside me, and she'd already seen it before. But um, the the scene where uh, Larry is talking to Lady Bird, and she says, "Does mom hate me?" And Larry says, "You both have such strong personalities." My mom said, "Yes, yes," <laughs> and I was like, "Well, that's that's true." Um, but yeah, she she uh, yeah again. I mean, she knows what's made up and what's not made up. She also has had the best line of anyone. Um, after they saw it for the first time, they ca- all called on on speakerphone, and everyone was crying and really happy. And then my mom said through tears, "Oh, Greta, you wish I'd give you the silent treatment." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, yeah, you don't do. She doesn't do that." But um, but I think it's like uh. You know, it all rhymes with the truth, even yeah. if it all didn't literally happen. Yeah. But it's interesting. One of the things, I, 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 I mean, it's quite an atomized story in mm-hmm. a way, a, mm-hmm. apart from the family. The family is the mm-hmm. center of it. And it's mm-hmm. quite atomized around it. Mm-hmm. And um, many people at, at that age have a kind of charmed circle. Mm. But you kind of, seems like maybe your, or at least your character doesn't. Mm. Um, you mean a, a charm circle of, of friends? Of or friends, you know, kind of yeah. a, a kind of magical group that never gets reformed. Did that that, that probably happen to you later? Maybe. Or yeah, you know, yeah. actually, it did happen to me later. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I found my charmed circle of um, women who I'm in a six way marriage with um, in college. But yeah. um, okay. but 
Yeah, in a funny way, I mean, Lady Bird also as a character is much more of a, a kind of a loner. Not a, I mean, she's not a loner, but she's she is kind of a lone wolf in a way, and and that wasn't so true of me either. Mm-hmm. I was very much part of my community of high school and what that was, but. Uh, well, I wanted the film to be um, a kaleidoscope of people. I I didn't want it to. Obviously, you're following this girl and this family, but I wanted it to feel very full of people, so mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. by the time you get to the the end of the film, when she says that thing to the guy at the party, when he says, "Where are you from?" and she says, "San Francisco," that it's both funny and it also feels kind of like a gut punch because you feel like you know all the people that she just sold out to look 10% cooler to some stranger she just met and 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 to sort of do that I, I I felt like it had to feel like everyone had an interior life that you were able to glimpse and um, some of it Lady Bird knows and some of it only the audience knows and some of it the audience can't go the full journey but that every character felt like if you followed them there would be a whole movie there with them. That there were, you know, there's a cliche, there there are no small parts and but there really are no small parts. Every single actor in this is is great and every single actor in this uh made a whole person. Because we've got an audience of directors, I'm gonna keep it quite technical. Okay, great. Um <laughs> I, I I know that uh um you know you, you wrote it as a screenplay first and without mm-hmm. and you kind of pushed away the idea that you might direct it. Mm. Um, so how close was the final film to that screenplay before you decided you would direct it? I the, my, my screenplay, it, it's almost exactly what is on screen. Mm. Um, I have collaborated on a couple of screenplays with Noah Baumbach, um, Francis Hahn, Mistress America, mm-hmm. which he directed. Mm-hmm. And... Um, those both hewed quite closely to the script. They really uh, cut very closely to to that. And I think that's, in a way, with um, cinematic writing, that's how I I came up doing it. So, I I, I mean, there's there's some things that are cut, but not a lot is cut. Uh, I spend a very long time on the script, and I I think that part of that is. Um, it's it's the it's the part that I can do alone, and it's the part that uh, is is free uh, before everybody else gets involved, mm-hmm. and and I so yeah so it's it's mostly it's mostly the script. Um, it evolved slightly, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. And what nerved you to actually? Was there one thing that kind of really decided that you were going to direct it? Well, I I have wanted to be a director for. A long time, uh, but I I didn't go to f- uh, film school, so I had a s- a sense of using my time on set either as a actor or a co-writer. I've produced, um, I've done sort of a lot of different jobs on smaller movies too. Um, that all of that became my cobbled together film school, and I was very lucky in the the directors I worked with and the cinematographers I worked with and uh, sound mixers and and set designers, they, they really opened up to me and told, talked to me about what they were doing and how they were doing it and um, and al- allowed me into their process. And, and, you know, filmmaking is such a collective 
activity, and there are so many different moving parts. I'm intrigued, though, in, in yeah. how you put that together. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I read your letter to Justin Timberlake <laughs> for um, yes. how, you know, getting the rights of Crimea yeah. River, and yeah. I, I'm, I, so I have this imagination that you're, you're, you're kind of very carefully putting together all the elements you needed, and you had some idea in your head of everybody that you wanted, but, yeah. but I mean, the cast, for example. Well, the cast, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm a, so many, so much of the cast is uh, they're theater actors in mm. New York, and I go to the theater all the time because I, I, it's my favorite way to watch actors work mm. because there's no, um, you know, there's nothing mediating your experience of mm. them. So, um, you know, Stephen McKinley Henderson, who plays Father Lovayich, and um, Lois Smith, and Laurie Metcalf, and Tracy Letts, and Timothy Chalamet were all actually people I'd seen on stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, so casting them was uh, came out of that. And then the team that I gathered, um, Sam Levy, who was the DP, is someone I've worked with three times. I, he shot Francis Ha, Mistress America, and a film I made with Rebecca Miller called Maggie's Plan. Mm-hmm. So I already had... Uh, you know, a, a relationship with him, uh, w- working with him, and and we over we he lives in New York as well, so we had about we had over a year to prepare, and so we really were able to develop a shorthand. So that by the time we were on set together, we were really in lockstep. And um, Chris Jones, who was the production designer, had been a production designer on Mike Mills' film Twentieth Century Women, mm-hmm. and uh, April Napier is someone I had met through also through Mike Mills, who I hadn't worked with, but she's a costume designer. And I I felt like I was in a privileged position because I had all this time on set working with different people. And I was able to see how different people ran their sets, see how what, what makes for the best working environment. And then I was able to tr- draw on people that I knew. And also I called every director I've worked with and directors I haven't worked with um, and asked them advice. And they were very generous with me. I wonder, you know, you've got somebody, Saoirse, who's mm. yeah. to some degree playing you. Mm. Was she observing you a lot while you were? No, you know, it's funny. I, I, we, I was just did a Q&A with Saoirse. Uh, we both had this, it, it really feels like this, what the character of Ladybird was was this collaboration between Sersha and I. And it's not me and it's not Sersha. It's something, it's a third party. I remember the first time we re- I heard her read it out loud and it was just the two of us in a room. And it, I, I remember it distinctly felt like a third person had entered the room. And I remember my, the hairs on my arms stood up because I thought it was, it was like meeting a person that I had only imagined on the page. And, um, that's quite that's quite an extraordinary thing and she's she's so capable of transforming but she she found these little clues early and she um threaded them through and uh I, you know she's just a, an extraordinary actor i've heard there's you know a few stories about things that happened on the set um, <laughs> sure one where you got everyone to wear ball gowns on a particular day? Is that true? Oh, well, <laughs> um, <laughs> when they we shot the prom scene, um, yeah. uh, the ladies and the gentlemen in the crew, myself included, we all wore formal wear to make yeah. our actors feel more comfortable. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I had a I had my my grips and tuxedos and I wore a prom dress and it was it was a uh, it was sort of, I, I like to do things that kind of create camaraderie amongst everyone. And and to me, uh, 
this probably sounds very California, but I really do think that the energy of every single person on a set goes into what the final product of the movie is. And I, I every, everybody matters and I want everybody to feel like they matter. And I, I'm a big believer in everybody on set is a storyteller and they're a storyteller in their own particular way. And, um, you know, whether that's in my first AD who made the schedule is a storyteller. He was so sensitive to where every single actor was on any day and what the arc of the day was and what the arc of the week was. And, you know, you know my, um, you know, grip and electric shaping the light and they're telling the story that way. And, and uh, you know, how, how we choose to capture the sound for every scene that that's also storytelling. And I, and I, and I want everybody to feel entrusted with that part of the story. And so I, I, I make a lot of efforts to, to make everyone feel um, like individuals, not just a, a, a role, a cog. There's actually a moment in the film where what I was thinking about it, what, what, what I was trying to, what is it that charms me most about this film? <laughs> and, and I was thinking that it was, uh, it, I was uh, I'll tell you what I was thinking after I tell you mm -hmm. that, because it was then articulated by the nun mm. um, in that scene, which is that, uh, it's observation and love. It's you know because the, the, the observation is a critique to a degree, you know, um, but it's all, it's all done with so much affection, and I think that's kind of a core of of, of what this film's about. Um, and, but anyway, I forgot about the name tags. The name tags, yeah. Well, I also had everyone in the crew wear name tags every single day, um, mm -hmm. myself included, mm -hmm. uh, and that that's. Because, especially for actors, I've been an actor on a movie where you come in for, you know, a day or two, mm -hmm. and it's hard to get to know everybody on mm -hmm. set really quickly, and you feel quite rude because you can't remember everybody's name, and, and it, 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 it kind of makes you feel a little bit alienated from all these people you're making a movie with, so that was part of it, and then I had everybody, um, our, our PAs came up with... Um, a question of the day every day. So you'd have your name and then you'd answer the question of the day, um, which was to get people Give to talk. Give me a sample question of the day. Oh, what's your go-to karaoke song? Um, oh, my God. What um, is it? It's Brian Ferry. It's, oh, great. Um, a Roxy Music one? Or? Yeah, it's Virg Virginia Plain. Oh, excellent. And one of the reasons for that is because the lyrics are always wrong on the, on the teleprompter, but I know the real ones. Oh, really? Yeah. Are they? Yeah. What a yeah. fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. What's your, f what was the, the, was there one scene in this film mm. which um, was particularly problematic um, uh, and, 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 and you got a mm. sense of achievement out of solving or, 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 or did you have a particular mm. scene that, that you're very fond of? Oh, well, I'm, I'm fond of so many of them, it's hard to pick. I mean, you know, sort of, we had this idea of, of the style of shooting that we wanted to be quite consistent with, that, um, that it would feel um, very, very placed, very static, very, uh, almost like every, every scene I wanted it to, to, to look like a still photograph, like a still life. Um, and uh, sort of figuring out how we would do things that had more, like her falling out of the car. There was a lot of tests of that and figuring out, do we need to get on the other side? Do we get a stunt double? Do we do it on green screen? And then it just, almost every time the solution was to do something very simple um, because that felt like it was keeping with the ethos of what we were making. The DP and I kept saying we wanted every shot to look plain and luscious. 
that that was the that was plain and luscious. Plain and luscious. I think we should we we, we like made T-shirts. Um, mm. Plain and luscious. It's our band. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I would say I mean the, the the scene that gave me the most pleasure to shoot was um, uh, Beanie and Sersha with their um, legs up the wall eating communion wafers talking about masturbation. Oh my goodness, that's that so shocking loved, to any Catholic boy. <laughs> I loved that scene so much. We also did have a priest on set, and he told us it was fine. If they're not consecrated, they really are just crackers. Um, mm-hmm. So he gave his approval. And um, I just, uh, I, I think, so, so I didn't want to be too heavy-handed about it, but I did think, you know, in the opening credits, you know, she's sitting in the church, and she's looking at the paintings and stuff. And, and um this sense, I think, sometimes as a teenage girl of uh, in in the institution of Catholicism and the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and feeling like, well, where do I fit in there exactly? And and that the, then in that structure that there's these two girls just being silly and cracking each other up made me so happy. And Beanie and Sergio really are laughing. That's real laughter. That's mm-hmm. not acting laughter. That's mm-hmm. that's them. And um. That was quite beautiful. And then, I, I mean, in terms of just on the day when Lori Metcalf um, drives around the the airport, um, we were shooting at a re- the real Sacramento airport, mm-hmm. so it was a working airport, and um, that comes with all, all the difficulties of that. Mm-hmm. But... Um, mm-hmm. Lori Metcalf is a is a is a prize is a prize fighter of an actor. She can do anything. She can do it fifty times. She can do it standing on her head. She can do it in the rain. She can do it backwards. There's nothing she can't do, and there's nothing that she ever shrinks from. But before we shot that, she pulled me aside and she told me, "I can do this twice. It's too pain- painful. Mm. It's too painful." Yeah, I dropped, my, I dropped my daughter off at university. It is, and she and she has four children, mm-hmm. and she was like, "I just, I'm just telling you." And so, you know, I looked at Sam and I was like, "We better fucking get this right now." Um, <laughs> and, and then we did, and then she, you know, I think mostly we used the first take, mm-hmm. but it was not. It was not a. That's not an actor being. I, uh, you know, being needy. It's 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 a it's a great artist telling you. I will be there for you, so you have to be there for me. Yeah. And um, and uh, you know, it, it it was beautiful, and and that's how much she feels it, and that's why you can see it all on her face, is because you know she's angry, she's frustrated, then she starts regretting it, and then there's, and then she's heartbroken, and then there's this hope that she's going to get back in time, and it's just all of these things going on on her face, and um. And it was a. That's why she's so great. Yeah, I think it's all these things that make it such a great connection. Before I turn to the audience, and uh, we will do in just a second. um, What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, we didn't start the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Can we? um, Where are the microphones? Has anybody got a question? Um, I'm going to line up two or three, if I may. Can we see some hands, perhaps? Anyone? One there. Um, Another there. As I can't see anybody of the other gender at the moment. There. Yeah. Thank you. So if, if it goes one, two, three, that would be great. Yes, go ahead, please. I, uh, yeah, did you um, rehearse before you shot um, each day or on the day? How did you approach that? Well, I, 
I was lucky because um, a lot of the actors live in New York, and um, I ca- I cast Sersha actually a year before we started shooting, um, and I sort of moved the shoot to fit her schedule because I, I, I knew she was Lady Bird and she was actually she was living in New York and she was in the Crucible on Broadway so I had these opportunities with her and Beanie Feldstein who plays her best friend and Lori and Lucas Hedges and Timothy Chalamet and um, Tracy wasn't part of those but the, there were these moments where I just I, I had them all over to my my apartment and we rehearsed a bit, but mostly I just wanted them to hang out with each other and start building relationships with each other, you know, like trade phone numbers and get on a group text because I think it's really important that actors feel that, that they have their own world in a way outside of me because I'm I'm not out there as an actor. So um, so I, I kind of wanted to, to foster that and we spend time talking and I would make playlists for them and give them books and we'd talk about the character and I'd show them pictures and um and we did that sort of in the year leading up to the movie and then we had about two weeks of rehearsal um before we started shooting which I I like rehearsal and and again because I was using so many theater actors they were comfortable they were comfortable with it they liked the rehearsal time and um and we didn't I mean, we, I mean, on the day we would, we had, you know, shot lists and storyboards, but we would, I would always like to let the actors, you know, figure out what they were doing. I didn't want them to, to execute what fit our plan. Um, I would say that uh, we, we had some moments where we were able to rehearse inside the house before we shot there, and we were able to he- rehearse inside the school before we shot there. But there's some locations you don't get to until it's it's time to do it um which is always a little scary but that's why i like front load loading it with rehearsals um but yeah but yeah they were they were very locked into each other very quickly but i i i enjoy the process as kind of laying down sediment of character and uh, and allowing that to kind of settle so that by the time you're on set it's like they've already worked out their first few ideas and that they can kind of be spontaneous because they know they're on solid ground. Next question, please. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Hi, Greta. Congratulations Hi. on the film. Uh, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your writing process and um, how long it took to write the script and and the stages you and the stages you you go through when you're um, developing a piece. Ah, uh, sure. Um, thank you. I. My writing process is is long. It took me about I think it took me about two years to write it. I tend to overwrite. I write I write way too much dialogue. Um, I think the original draft was like three three hundred and fifty pages, which is insane. Um, and and I think I do that because for me writing so much of writing for me is about listening to characters and letting them talk to each other. And then, and then w- once I do that, which is which is creative and freewheeling and fun, and it, it, the distillation process and the kind of connecting A to B to C becomes much more, much more conscious and much more um, directed, and um, that feels like more like work, and the other part feels more like play, like getting to just, just riff and seeing what what whatever who everybody is, um, and. 
I, 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 I like movies where the plot feels like it's almost woven under you, um, where you just feel as if you're watching things unfold. And then at some point, maybe midway through the movie, there's almost like a catch and you realize, oh, no, 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 this was all kind of working towards something, but you don't notice it in the beginning. And so I try to, I try to build plot like that. The, the po- plot that still moves and has a story, but that you don't feel the signposts as they happen. Um, and, and I have d- different readers that I trust once I have a draft so that I'm able to see, uh, even though this is hidden, are you following it? Um, because sometimes I, I hide it too much and then someone's like, I have no idea what this is about. <laughs> um, so it's about, it's about striking that balance for me between um, making it not too obvious, but not so oblique that nobody knows, nobody can follow the, the pieces. But it's it's like a trail of breadcrumbs in a way, I feel like, for each plot line. And um, what I end up doing is actually printing the, the whole thing out and looking at it physically, like almost like it's a quilt, and looking at what are the connections, what am I, this plot line goes here and this goes there. And um, I think I, I, I took a test once that said I was a kinesthetic learner, which makes sense because I need to f- touch everything um, when, I, when I work on something. And sometimes a script, especially when it's sitting a, on a computer, can seem just not, like I, I can't, I need to be able to grasp it and, and look at it laid out before I can understand it. There's a lady here. Can we get the microphone to her? Who is going to ask a question? Sorry, there, yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, yeah, I thought it was a, a really brilliant, very moving, self-assured film. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it, um, and and the characters really punched through, and 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 felt they were very well developed. I actually have a, a slightly geeky technical question, which I hope you don't mind me asking. Love it. Um, um, as a director and a shooter yeah. as well, it, it looked like it's shot on Super 16 or 16. And oh, I'm just God bless really you. intrigued by the thought process behind that, and I hope you don't oh. mind me. No, 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 no. I'm so happy it to that because I, 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 every, I, I loved it, and Thank I'm, you. I'm intrigued. No, I mean I spent a lot of time about um, on how it looked and how it, um, w- 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 yeah, what it ended up looking like. Uh, so I wanted to shoot it on Super 16, and I wasn't able to. Um, because it's it's expensive. It was too expensive. And I was going to lose three days of shooting. It's, that's what it worked out to be. And I'm sure any everyone in here knows those discussions where you say, I really want this thing. And then a line producer sits you down and says, well, here's what you'll give up. And I di- I ultimately was like, I can't, I can't lose those days. And it wasn't about the film stock. Kodak was um, really helpful. And it wasn't about the rental houses or the, the cameras. It's about the d- developing was really expensive processing. And especially shooting in Sacramento, having to get, get the film down to L.A. and that whole thing. And then, you know, uh, cleaning the film afterwards, the dust busting process, that's a t- something like $30,000 right there. I, it was just... You know, it's it, it's 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 heartbreaking when you start breaking down exactly why you can't do something. And actually, someone uh, told me a story about Mira Nair when she was making um, w- when she was making Monsoon Wedding. She'd made other movies before, and uh, that she she needed. She said she needed fourteen days of rain, 
And she's on on other movies. She'd said, "I need rain. I need rain." And and the the days of rain kept getting cut down until it was like you can have a week, you can have four days, you can have half half a week, you can have one day, you can have half a day. And then finally, there's no more. There's no rain in the budget. And the person said to me, "You have to know what your 14 days of rain is." And when you go into a movie, and I think that is one of the benefits of making your second movie is that you'll have a better idea of like what can I fall on my sword for and what can't I. That all being said, uh, so I ended up not shooting on film, but then I became kind of maniacal <laughs> with my DP and my colorist, Alex Bickle, who's um, incredibly gifted and he, he did the color on um, Moonlight and he's just does beautiful work. He's a real painter. And um, so we, sh we, we ended up shooting on the... Um, uh, uh, our uh, Alexa Ari the Mini, and we use super prime lenses from the fifties, and uh, which helped with distorting the image. And then, um, and then we did this sort of we sh we did a layering process where we shot an out of focus layer, and then um, a layer that was almost printed on a wash of color. Um, and then the image itself, and we put that all together, and then we shot a gray card in low light and turned up the contrast so I could get the digital noise, because there are imperfections in a digital image. They're just not c as clear, they're just, you know, but they are embedded in the sensor. So we got that, and then we layered that on, on top, because I don't like putting film grain on top of a, a digital image, because I think it it's pretending. <laughs> I don't know, I have some sort of issue with it and so I wanted it to be the native dis distortion of the image so we layered all of that and that became the process that we we did our dailies with and so I was never looking at the raw sort of files I was always looking at the image that was slightly off um, and after saying all of that it probably would have just been easier to shoot on 16 um, but it, it wasn't possible but it was a, it's an incredibly creative um you know thing to go through and 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 to problem solve and I, I i i just i get uncomfortable with very pristine images so i'm always looking for a way to make them distorted without somehow being cute about it so that, that's my long nerdy answer <laughs> i i was just wondering the choice to set the film in 2003, I guess that has to do with you, your coming of age at that time, maybe. Mm -hmm. But I was also wondering whether you felt like, if you thought about making the film today, just with the landscape of that kind of, there's a kind of nostalgia of this, that cell phone is like this harbinger of something that's coming. Mm. Could, could you make that film today? Would it, I know you could tell the same story, but mm. that element of nostalgia and how maybe, what, your, what were your thoughts about that when thinking about when to set the film? Yeah, well, I it's it's a little bit after when I was in school. Um, it, I graduated my my senior year was from two thousand one to two thousand two, and I wanted to set it in a post nine eleven uh, world uh, because I think for you know it was it was a it was a national trauma and it was a national tragedy, and I think it 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 changed a lot of. W of of what the world we've grown into has become. And I, I, I felt like in some ways it was a way to talk about now without setting the film now. Uh, it, you know, we were, 
getting into two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, the internet was on the rise, cell phones were on the rise, but it wasn't all there yet. There was this erosion of the middle class, which had been going on, but then sped up. There was this sort of uncertainty in, in places that felt like there were certainty before, like suddenly you could be in your 50s and 60s and you're looking for a new job, and, and that was not something that you would an would have anticipated that you had to do. And it felt like it felt like we this is all stuff that's still going on now. I, but I don't know how you make a film about young people now without the, 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 how much of their lives, social lives especially, are lived online with Snapchat and Facebook and Instagram and all of it, and how many social dynamics are happening there. And I, I do not have the tools to, sp to speak to that. And I, and I also, frankly, can't fi figure out how to make it cinematic. Um, so I, I felt like I wanted to kind of have this be a moment of we know that it was a there was a big change happening but it hadn't all arrived yet and I I felt like yeah it was a way to be in dialogue with with what with what the world we live in now is uh, congratulations <coughs> I thought it was Thank you. fantastic um, and also really funny could <laughs> I you. ask you uh, just a question about your approach to the comedy in it yeah and whether it was what came out and what we saw sure. tonight was in the original script mm -hmm. or whether it got funnier and whether there was any shot or scene or performance that you either worried was taking it too far or too funny or too mm. heightened. Because mm. I thought the tone was so assured but wasn't afraid to be funny. Thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, I, 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 well, I had a very... I, I remember talking to Sersha early because I, I cast her first before I cast anyone else. And she she's very funny, but she hasn't done comedy. Um, or uh, that's not what she's known for. That's not what she typically does. And I I talked to her early and I, I said, I don't want you to play this like a comedy. I want you to play this like a drama. And it, it I, you know, with some confidence that I, I I don't know where I got it from I was like the lines are funny it will be funny if you say it with sincerity but I that's sort of how I felt about everyone in the movie I I didn't want them to ever play it funny I wanted them to play it from the inside and and trust that it would be funny because I didn't want any of the characters to kind of I didn't want the actors to step outside of their characters and comment on their characters I wanted them to be speaking truthfully and so um it's not it's not quite the same thing as deadpan but I wanted it to feel just just that they don't know how they're funny they're being I mean it's like the ideas are funny the idea yeah hmm. and it's 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 more like um like for example the character of Kyle who she Timmy Chalamet plays he does not know that he sounds ridiculous. He is completely sincere about everything he's saying. Um, and and I, 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 I like that because I think there's a kind of um, compassion in it um, because you, you're laughing and you're like, oh no, this guy. But you're also like, oh, you can't help it. You're like a 17-year-old guy who read a book one time and now you're going to tell everybody about it. Um, or maybe saw Heather's. Yeah, definitely. He <laughs> saw Heather's and then he like grew his hair out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's always, I think uh, the 
balancing of the comedic tone also happened in the editing room. Um, I mean, the script didn't change on set, and um, the, you know, the actors were really living in a world that it, it all made sense. But um, yeah, there were. I mean, I guess there were some things in the editing room where, where at moments things went broader, and we pulled it back. But um, the actors really understood the tone, and uh, and they and they didn't they didn't stray from that. Over there. Uh, can you wait for the microphone, please? Uh, could Thank you tell you. us the shooting schedule and what the final budget was? Sure. Um, the shooting schedule ended up being 35 days, um, which uh, t to me, actually, f I was very, very pleased with having that many days because I know a lot of independent films, you know, you shoot in 20 days or something less. And it, it, w it was a tight schedule, but it was... Um, we 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 got through it all, um, and the the budget ended up being. Uh, it's I mean, it's a tier one film. I don't know if you have the same tiers in the in the UK as we do in the United States. It's a tier one film. It was under six million. Um, I, I think it, uh, it once the movie was finished. I'm not positive where the final number ended up, but it was un it was under six million. It was originally around four point five, and then. We added days, and then and then it moved up to around five. I think that's where we ended up. We've got time for one more question, maybe. Hi. Hi. Um, I really liked it. Oh, um, thank you. I wondered how much you felt like you drew on your past experience and characters that you'd previously played mm. in other work when you were writing it, mm. and whether you think that kind of plays into your general process mm. that much. Mm. Uh, I don't. I guess I don't. I don't consciously think about other things I've done while I'm writing it. Um, I sort of let each film exist on its own, and each character, all the characters exist on their own. But I certainly think, I mean, the things I continue to be interested in, I'm very conscious about. Um, I'm interested in women's relationships with other win women, and that, that probably will change. I'll probably write and make more films, but I'm interested in in best friends, I'm interested in sisters, I'm interested in mothers and daughters, I'm interested in uh, women who work together, or women who, uh, you know, teachers and students, I'm interested in all different sort of configurations of how women relate to each other. So that that is very conscious on my part, that, that those stories are the core emotional stories in my film. And and the way that the characters function, I'm just always trying to make people who feel like complicated, spiky, interesting people to me, people who are not perfect. And I think especially with, um, you know, mothers in films, sometimes I, I tend to feel like they fall, they either are angels or they're devils. Um, and if they have flaws, they're kind of cute. And I, I feel like, well, what if the flaws aren't that cute? What if it's, you know, what if they're really difficult? What if they're big mistakes? What if they're things that Lady Bird does that are really jerky not like a little bit jerky but really jerky and 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 not letting that not letting that stop them being people deserving of love and people capable of giving love and i i think that that's always what i'm thinking about when i'm writing characters and um and yeah just he's for whatever reason i've just been fixated on having central emotional stories be about women in relationship with other women it's interesting because in men's films, it's often the mother's fault. <laughs> yes. Somehow, it's always the mother to blame in men's yeah. films. Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, it's true. Mm. I think, uh, 
or or it's, there's some movies that they blame the father. Sometimes. Right? Sometimes. It's always yeah. someone's fault. It's, it's somebody, always somebody somebody else's to blame. Somebody else is to blame. <laughs> somebody else is to blame. No, yeah. it's it's true. Okay. Would would you join me in thanking Chris? Thank Kennedy. you. This podcast was recorded from an event as part of the Directors UK programme. Directors UK is the professional association of all screen directors. We now have over 6,000 members and our work involves campaigning, lobbying and supporting the craft of directing in the UK. To find out more, please visit www.directors.uk.com.